Okay, today is September the 14th, 2010. And I won't be here. Um, the 26th was not, it's not next Sunday, but the Sunday after that, nor will I be here October the 3rd. Two Sundays I will be cruising on the Caribbean. So, <laughs> I have people who are going to fill in for me, and I'll give you more details later. Let's prepare ourselves in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. The option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time You've given us to do the most important thing that we do while we're yet on planet earth, and that is grow in grace and knowledge of your word. We recognize that the only way that we are able to glorify you is to grow in grace so that we can have that spiritual acumen. We will understand what the devil's world is all about, how to execute the Christian way of life, how indeed to become an overcomer, because of who and what you are and your grace. So we pray that you will help us to concentrate, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and if you will go there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll start with verse 1. We're going to read it in our Bibles. Something we don't do so much anymore. We're always looking at the board. But we need to use our Bibles. 1 Thessalonians 5, 1. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. That phrase, that sentence sets the tone for what this whole chapter is about it's about the day of the lord the wrath of god is coming and it is going we're going to see very vividly that that day is not designed for us that's what this whole chapter is talking about it's talking about how we are not of those who will experience that wrath while they notice the difference in pronouns here you go from you yourselves know full well the day of the Lord. Now we have they. While they would be unbelievers are saying, peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth, birth pangs upon a woman with child and they shall not escape. No one is going to escape that. And it's going to occur after we are already delivered. We'll be delivered by the rapture. And they will be saying peace and safety. The only thing that we can conclude is that after we are gone, there's going to be complete chaos, but there's going to be a world ruler that Satan will probably indwell, that he's going to make everything right as far as the world is concerned. He's going to have great charisma. He's going to be a consummate politician, and he will be able to convince the world that 
uh, I, I don't know what he's going to say. I don't know what he is going to use as the reason this happened and the solution to it, but he's going to have a, he's going to come up with something. And the world is going to get back to some normalcy and you're going to see the stock market's going to start going up and people are going to say, aha, finally, now everything is well. And that's what verse 3 is talking about. They will be saying peace and safety. And that's when the Lord is going to unleash the dogs. Verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you like a thief. All throughout this passage, he talks about the difference between darkness and light. And these are metaphors for believers and unbelievers. God has a plan for believers, and it is separate and distinct from His plan with unbelievers. Unbelievers are of darkness. We are of light. You brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you like a thief. For you all are sons of light. It's not just that you have knowledge and therefore you're light. You are sons of light. Talking about believers. And sons of the day. We are not of night nor of darkness. You can see the comparisons here. He is really showing distinctions. Verse 6. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. And we looked at this word sleep. It's, we've gone over it. Here it was, it's referring to a spiritual, uh, uh, being spiritually lethargic. It's being unalert, being asleep at the wheel, so to speak. See, so he says, since we are not of darkness, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. This is referring to, uh, when it's talking about this darkness, it's talking about unbelievers. But since we are not of the day, excuse me, but since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of hope of salvation. Notice how important hope is. What, what part of your body do you want to make sure you protect? Your head. I mean, when your head, it, when, if, if they get to your head, you're done. And so it's connected, this helmet, to the hope, confidence of salvation. And here talking about deliverance. And we explain that in the context of this entire chapter, it's talking about being delivered from the wrath to come. That is the deliverance and that is our hope. That is our confidence based on the Word of God. Now, that is not to suggest that we shouldn't hope when we experience various trials that God is not going to deliver us. We should be hoping, we should have confidence that He is going to see us through the storm. If you're like me and most other humans, you'd rather God take you around the storm. That's, if we had our druthers, we'd say, okay, Lord, I know you can do it. Why don't we just avoid this one? This is a Katrina headed at us, and I just assume uh, get out of the way. But, and he does that sometimes, but others, he takes us through it, and he has purpose for it, so we'll learn to trust him. Verse 9, for God has not destined us for wrath. 
but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't saying that God did not destine us for hell. Nowhere in here do we have eternal damnation as any part of this. This is, again, context-wise, talking about being delivered from the wrath of God that is going to come, as we'll see, it's going to come on the entire world. I wonder how many believers don't know that. I wonder how many believers never think of it. I think that we need to be telling people, anyone who will listen, do you know that the day of wrath is coming? If you said that to somebody, what do you think they would say? Wrath? What wrath? Uh, is there something, are we going to be invaded? Is there something, are we going to get more taxes? What are you talking about? It would be a good lead-in to start talking about such things. Because most people don't know that God has a plan, an agenda for the world, that He is in control, and there will be a day when the world as we know it today will no longer exist, and we will be out of here. It was going to leave nothing but unbelievers, and this is when God is going to pour out His wrath in full measure. There will never be and never has been a time like the wrath that is coming, and most people don't know about it. Most people don't care about it. But maybe if you made them aware of it, they might want to know, what can I do to avoid it? If, there's, if, if this wrath is coming... I mean, just talk to people. You don't have to preach to them. Just get the ball rolling. Ask them, do you know about the wrath that's coming? No, what wrath? Well, God said that there's a time coming that's going to be worse than ever. No time is going to be It's going to be absolutely horrible. What do you think about that? Don't do all the talking. Get, engage them. Ask them, what's going to, what do you think about it? And then they'll hopefully start asking you questions. And they might say, well, are you going through it? And what are you going to say? I hope not. <laughs> Absolutely not. And you can tell them why. And then you can tell them they can avoid it also. And they may say, well, when is wrath coming? I don't know, but it could be soon. Wouldn't that be a good lead-in to give someone the gospel? Well, it's coming. But God has not destined us, referring to believers for wrath not then the wrath by the way i hope you know by now is referring to the last seven years of daniel's 70th week it's referring to the tribulational period which is the dark phase of the day of the lord remember how this started out no need for me to tell you about the epics and times you already know about this that the day of the lord will come that's what this whole thing is about the day of the lord if you took a survey and you went to churches across the nation, and you ask believers, what is the day of the Lord? What percentage of them do you think could give you anything close to a, a reasonable answer that would be a, a correct? What percent would you think? If you got 5%, it would be a miracle. Uh, and, and yet, this is a major portion of the Bible. We are admonished to look for Jesus Christ's return. In fact, there is a crown that is promised for those who eagerly wait His returning. Yet nobody thinks about that. Nobody even talks about it. A lot of churches say, oh, this is a hush-hush subject. There's controversy about this. Let's, let's walk around it. Let's, let's not deal with it. Somebody might get their feelings hurt. Uh, we might get into something sticky, so let's just avoid it. 
But I don't think I've ever been guilty of that. I've been guilty of other things, but I don't think I've been guilty of that. And any good Bible teacher would not be because we have to teach what's there. Verse 10. We're talking about salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. We went into some detail about that. Remember that word sleep there in the Greek is kathudo. And it's talking about, again, spiritual, uh, spiritually lethargic. Just being not with it, not caring and not knowing about what God's agenda is all about. So this says whether we are asleep or are awake, where it says awake first, whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Now do you remember something, uh, underline the word live, live together with Him. Do you, see how much y'all remember, you all. What is something that I pointed out about that word live that's very interesting? Anybody remember? Don't be rational. I'll give you a hint. It has something to do with the Greek. That's why you don't remember it. I'm afraid sometimes when I go in the Greek, people go, <laughs> I get back into English. <laughs> but it's very important. Something about that. Do you remember? It's in the subjunctive mood. The subjunctive mood is the mood of potential. Remember that? And that should just stand out like a a neon light here. My Bible just closed on me. I've got to find it again. So whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. See, sometimes the English shows that, that subjunctive by, subjunctive by adding the word may live with him. Now, I would be very upset if that was only a potential as far as me living with Christ for the rest, for any time. But we're talking about future yet. We may live, future tense there, live with Him. Are you going to live with Christ? How certain are you? Are you absolutely, positively, unequivocally, dogmatically assertive in that you're going to live with Christ? Then how can we live this, uh, read this, and it says we may live with Christ? Doesn't, wouldn't that upset you a bit? It would upset me. Like it's only a potential. Who is He talking to? Believers. Do you have eternal life? Do you have God's own righteousness? Do you have confidence? Do you have eternal security? Then what is this talking about? Remember? He's talking about maybe we will live with Him in our lifetime if He comes and gets us, or maybe we may not. In any case, eventually we are going to live with Him, but He is talking about whether it's going to be reality in their lifetime or not. See, you never see that in the English, but if you slow down and you're really getting the gist of it, and even in the English when it says that we may live with Him, well, that just upsets my apple cart. When I saw the subjunctive mood there, I nearly freaked out until I figured out, well, it can only mean one thing, that 
We may live, and I, we can say the same thing, can we not? We may live with Him. We're talking about face-to-face with Him in our lifetime. It may happen. The reason it may happen is because we don't have to wait for any of the signs, any of the things that's going to pertain to the tribulation to happen before then. If that happens to happen before then, then we're not really waiting on the Lord. We're waiting for those signs and the suffering to be over to where then maybe we can start looking forward to seeing the Lord. But if that's the case, let me tell you, the Bible wouldn't be calling it the blessed hope if we have to go through the worst time ever. And I guarantee you, if the church did have to go through any, through even the first six seals of the tribulation, probably at least a fourth of us would not make it. That's how many of the world population is going to die just in that first birth time. Verse 11, Therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Now, um, I'm going to put this on the board. This picks up where we were looking at. For God has not destined us for wrath. Wrath is orge. And here's a few verses that has to deal with that. First of all, we have 1 Thessalonians 1.10. We are to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead... That is, Jesus, who what? Rescues us from the wrath to come. Jesus Christ is not going to rescue us from the wrath to come if that is talking about the fires of hell. That's not why He's coming at the second advent to deliver us from that. And why is that? I'm making you think tonight. Don't tell me. I just want you to formulate it in your own mind. What I'm telling you is that Jesus Christ is not coming back at the rapture to deliver us from the fires of hell. And I'm asking you, why is that? Why isn't he? And you should be able to get that one right off the bat. Because we're already delivered. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ positionally, you have God's righteousness. You have eternal life. It's impossible for you to be condemned. So none of this is talking about deliverance from eternal wrath of hell. It's talking about delivering us from that time frame, which is what we see in the next verse, Revelation 3.10. Because you have kept the world, excuse me, the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. That hour, and it's not talking about just a literal hour. He's talking about a time frame. I will also keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. And I said those are called what? Earth dwellers. And we will not be earth dwellers. We will be heaven dwellers at that time. We went through Nahum and we looked at Romans 5, 9, 2 Peter 2, 9. And I like this one. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly. The godly here would be not those who are so pious and so um, righteous. That usually ends in self-righteousness. No, it's talking about those who have imputed righteousness. So God knows how to rescue the godly from testing and to keep the unrighteous, those who don't have his imputed righteousness. That would be Christ rejectors under punishment for the day of judgment. 
I have something that I was going to start out with, but I wanted to preface the, what I was going to do here with uh, about three or four paragraphs. This is in the recent issue of Israel My Glory. By the way, I have still back there on the table a list of people, if you want to get Israel My Glory, which is a great magazine for free, just sign your name on it. When I get, I think there's 10 names or 10 blanks, 10 or 12 blanks, and when it gets filled up, then I send it to them, and then they will send you Israel My Glory free, free subscription. So remember that. And this is on page 39, and it's a, the name of this article is Specific Reasons for God's Anger and Wrath. It's written by Reynolds Showers, and this is what he says. Being future earth dwellers, the first part of the future, of, that's the title, by the way, being future earth dwellers. It says the first part of the future day of the Lord, known as the tribulation, will be characterized by the wrath of God. Now, do I need to, do, do I need to explain that? Are you all with me? The first part of the day of the Lord, that's the dark part, that's the tribulational part, would be characterized by the wrath of God. His wrath will devastate earth and many of its inhabitants. Behold, the day of the Lord comes cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and He will destroy its sinners from it. I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 13, verse 9. Now, this is even in Isaiah. What is he describing? He's describing the day of the Lord and he says it will come with cruel and both the day of the Lord comes cruel with both wrath and fierce anger to lay the land desolate and he will destroy its sinners from it. Right then, what, what clicks in your mind when he, when he says and it's going to destroy sinners from it? If I was going to give you a test or I was going to ask you about that, what is he talking about? He is talking about the baptism of fire. He says he's going to eliminate the sinners. Sinners here being unbelievers. When is, when is that going to happen? It's going to happen at the second advent. It's going to happen at the end of that seven-year period when Jesus Christ comes down out of the clouds. Revelation 19 says that he is going to destroy them with the word of his mouth. Uh, excuse me, the sword from his mouth. And the sword there, which is the word of God, all he has to do is say it and they're toast, they're dead. That's what that's referring to. And that's in Isaiah 13, 9. Then he says, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness, haughtiness of the terrible. So he's talking about who's all this going to fall on? The earth dwellers. Isn't it interesting? the terms that are used, earth dwellers as opposed to heaven dwellers, which we will be. Uh, then he says, uh, Revelation chapter 6 through 19 indicates that during the, the, that time there will be a distinction between two groups of people on earth. The saints, which are people who become saved during the tribulation, and those who dwell on the earth, the, peoples who, the people who never become saved. So what you see between Revelation 6 and 19 is that wrath falling upon the earth dwellers. Now, the saints, don't think that when you see the word saints that it's necessarily talking about the church because none of the, 
It never refers to the church during the tribulational period. Old Testament believers and tribulational believers are also called saints. By the way, what does saints mean? Yeah, it comes from sanctified. Or, uh, the, you have the word hagios or hagianzo, hagiosmos. All of it means set apart for blessing. The earth dwellers will kill God's saints, according to Revelation 6.10. They'll be... Uh, they will be tormented by two witnesses and rejoice over the deaths of those two men. Revelation 11.10. Y'all know what that's talking about? We think it's probably going to be Moses and Elijah from their description. They'll have supernatural powers. And the earth dwellers are going to hate them, and God is going to allow them to be killed. At the midpoint of the tribulation, they're going to lie in the street for three and a half days, and then what's going to happen? Boop! It's all going to be televised, and when they're... Remember what happened on 9-11 when the uh, Muslims saw the towers fall? What were they doing in, the, in, in Palestine, uh, uh, in, in, well, in Israel, the Palestinians and the Arab groups? What were they doing? Dancing in the streets, weren't they? Well, that's what they're going to do when these two witnesses are going to be killed until, boop, they're gone. They're resurrected, right? Not resurrected, actually. They're... Uh, they ascend into heaven. But they're not resurrected. Some people think they're resurrected. I don't think they're going to be resurrected. They're not going to be resurrected until the rest of, that, uh, of their group, which is the Old Testament believers, will be resurrected at the second advent. You know, <coughs> Moses and, and both Elijah uh, went out in a, a special way and they're going to be coming back in a special way. Then they're going to be leaving again in a special way. And then they're going to return again in a special way. I mean, they're, they're going back and forth, and I, that must be a trip. So they will be astonished by the, the beast. This, this are the earth dwellers. Revelation 17, 6, and will worship him. You see, these earth dwellers rejected Jesus Christ, but they're going to accept the Antichrist. He's the one that they're going to put all their faith in and uh, not accept Christ. Three woes will be pronounced on them in conjunction with God's final three-trumpet judgment in Revelation 8.13. And they will become drunk with the wine of the great harlot's illicit unions, which is in Revelation 17.2. I, I happen to think that the woman, or some people call it the whore that rides the beast of Revelation chapter 17. Dave Hunt has a good book on that in a video. We have it in our library. I think that it's referring to the, the Catholic Church because the descriptions fit. And there's going to be a huge ecumenical movement. Y'all know what ecumenical means. It's all-inclusive. It just doesn't matter what you believe. You're part of the group. And they're going to be drunk with the wine. That's going to be uh, a big thing. The names of the earth dweller are not written in the Lamb's book of life slain from the foundation of the earth according to Revelation chapter 13, 8 and Revelation 17, 8. Do I need to throw the books? I, no, I, that's, that's a dog trail. I, I just was wondering, how many of you are really familiar when I'm talking about the books the, the, the books as opposed to the book. You know, you have the book of life that every person who is ever born, their name is entered into it. 
But if they reject Christ and they die rejecting Christ, their name is blotted out of that book. Then you have another book called the Lamb's Book of Life, and that's when a person believes in Jesus Christ, his name is entered into the Lamb's Book of Life. And then there are the books found in Revelation chapter 20. That's the book of works. And that's when people are, all unbelievers are going to be resurrected and stand before Jesus Christ. And they're going to look in the book of life. Hmm, name in there. What does that mean? They died rejecting Christ. Well, let's make sure. Let's look over here in the Lamb's book of life. Is it there? Yes. I mean, no, it's not there either. And so then they're going to say, well, let's look at the books. The books are the books of works. And so this is all they have to stand on. They, they rejected Christ's atonement. So they'll be judged according to their works. And God's own character, His perfect righteous standards demand that human good be rejected. That's all they have to offer. It's not perfect, and they'll end up in the lake of fire. So the book of Revelation indicates that God's wrath during the future seven-year tribulation will expose the earth dwellers as people who are so abundantly opposed to Him that they will never repent no matter what is done to them. They are locked in, hardcore, negative. They have the mark of the beast on them. When God unleashes the cosmic disturbances of the sixth seal, they will be terrified and recognize these events as expressions of God's wrath. But instead of repenting, they will cry for mountains and rocks to fall on them and hide them from God and the wrath of Christ. Can you imagine that? It is so bad that rather than ask you know, to, to believe in Jesus Christ and be saved, no, they're so bitter and so entrenched in hate towards God that they said, go ahead and just let the rocks fall on us. Despite the devastating horrors of the sixth trumpet, which will kill one-third of mankind, the earth dwellers will not repent of their wickedness. The fourth bowl judgment will scorch them with great heat. The fifth bowl will cause excruciating pain. And the sixth bowl will bombard them with hailstones weighing approximately 100 pounds each. What do you think that would do to a car? What does that do to you? Yet though they will recognize all these as God's wrath and His judgment, the earth dwellers will blaspheme Him rather than repent. So that is what we're talking about when we're talking about the wrath coming down. And we already went through this wake or sleep. Let's get over here to where I was going to start tonight. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. And you can look in your Bible or you can look up here. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. We have, first of all, Parakaleo is means to encourage. You've seen this before. Para means beside, and kaleo means to call. It means to call to your side for the purpose of encourage someone. Now notice that this word for encourage here is a present active imperative. We don't have an option where God commands us to encourage one another. And we are to continue to do it. It's present tense. It means to call someone to your side to comfort or to aid, to encourage or to exhort them. These are the same Greek words used in 1 Thessalonians 
And in the Greek here, we have parakalete alelus. That means in the Greek, keep on encouraging one another. And that's one another of the same kind, other believers. So the link between, remember, what is First Thessalonians chapter 4 about? Detailed information about the rapture. That is the encouragement. In fact, at the very end of that, that's the words that you have. Keep on encouraging one another with these words. I don't know how many times I've said that at grave sites to remind people that your loved one is gone. You won't see him on this earth again until Christ returns. But he is going to return. You'll be able to see your loved one then, so keep on encouraging one another with this. And then when you get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build same exact words. What is this about? It's encouragement. Encouragement about what? That we will not go through the day of the Lord. I mean, sometimes it can get pretty heavy, can it? Life can just body slam you, but you can be assured that it's not as bad as it could be. I'm so tempted to tell you a joke right now. Oh, it's a good joke, but I'll refrain. <laughs> Okay, you talked me into it. <laughs> Wasn't that hard? Uh, you know, when I say that it's, you all, some people think it couldn't be worse than this. Well, there was this uh, small town, and all the country guys would gather around the town every day, and they would say, I don't know if I should tell this. I guess I can tell it. Anyway, um, they, they would gather around the town square, and they would swap stories. And this one guy, old Fred, every time, no matter what happened, He'd always end it by saying, well, that's bad, but it could be worse. And somebody would say, you know, there was a wreck out on, on 77 and all these people were killed and all. And Fred would say, well, that's bad, but it could be worse. And so <laughs> they said, let's do this. Let's make up a story so bad that he can't say it's, it's that so bad it could be worse. So they were all prepared and Fred came to the town square the next day and one of the guys said... Uh, he started telling the story about how he came home from work and he found his wife in bed with another man. And he went to Zerko and he shot her and shot him and killed them both. And they asked Fred, now what do you think about that? And Fred said, well, it's bad, but it could be worse. And he, they said, what do you mean? How could it be worse? He said, he could have come the day before and caught me. <laughs> Sorry about that. It can always get worse. And I, mean, <laughs> I hate to say that now, but uh, that is a biblical principle because the tribulation is going to be worse. It's going to be worse than it ever, ever has been. So you can always take solace, no matter how mad it's going to get for you, that you are not in the tribulation and you're not going through the tribulation and it could be worse. Now, I probably shouldn't have told that story. Anyway, uh, encouragement is the link between 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. See, they're completely different subject matter, but the link is the encouragement. We can have hope because of what they're saying. In 1 Thessalonians 4, we have hope because Christ is going to return. 1 Thessalonians 5, we can be, have hope 
because we're not going to go through the tribulation, God is going to deliver us from the wrath. Each section conclusion precisely repeats it. Encouragement comes from the parallel truth that all believers will be delivered, both living and dead, in 1 Thessalonians 4, and both watching or not watching in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Hope and encouragement in 5.11 message, that's the message. Rather than reintroducing the subject of dead believers from 4.13, it repeats the encouragement from hope. In other words, we went o- over that in detail, remember? When you get to that being asleep or awake, it's not talking about being dead or alive. It's talking about being spiritually like most believers are, which are like zombies as, a po- as opposed to someone who is very much alert. The encouragement is that we will not go through the Lord's burning anger, fury, or wrath that's coming by means of the tribulation. No matter how bad things may get, we can be confident we will not experience the horrible suffering of the day of the Lord. God does not condemn believers to that because of Christ's death on the cross and we will be delivered. Life is not easy, but what is easy is to become discouraged. Isn't that true? If with everything that we have and all the problems, we still become discouraged. We all need encouragement from time to time, and we need to have compassion on those who seem to have lost hope. Oh, that's a bad thing when someone has lost confidence and hope. People need to know that the Lord not only will deliver us, look at that, through the temporary trials we face, but He will deliver us from the trials that will come upon the entire world like the tribulation. So we're going to be delivered from the tribulation and He will deliver us through the trials that we face in the meantime. Verse 11 states the conclusion, therefore encourage one another and virtually repeats the words of 4.18. This is what we were looking at a moment ago. At His coming, the Lord will deliver all believers whether they are watching or not Thus, encourage one another to become confident by these words of relief. This is this should be a con- see. If are these would these words be encouragement to an unbeliever? No, they could care less. You could be talking to an unbeliever, say, "Are you going to be delivered from the wrath to come?" They don't care. I mean, even if you told them, they don't believe. It can't be an encouragement to them. There's no motivation because there's nobody at home. They're spiritually dead. And build up one another. This word for build up is oikodomeo. O-I-K-O-D-O-M-E-O. It's a present active imperative. So, So see, we have two present active imperatives. To encourage and now to build up. By implication, it means to rebuild or renew a building decayed or destroyed. What is? You can already make a reference here. What are these things called in the body? These things that we see on the outside. If our bodies are what? Well, no, not the old man. I'm talking about we are what? Uh, <laughs> Okay, I'll give you a hint here. Let me go back up here. O-I-K comes from oikos, which means a house. 
The Bible sometimes talks about us as being a house. And what is happening to this house? <laughs> it's decaying, isn't it? Listen, this age group ought to be able to... Uh, well, I'm, I'm including myself in that. It's not you. I'm probably not getting it. This is, we're, this is our house. What does the Bible say? This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is an edifice. The, this is our outside. Well, actually, it's not a... Uh, it'd be closer to call it a tent because it's temporary. A tent was the house for the people out in the wilderness. Metaphor, metaphorically, it means to build up, establish, confirm. Spoken of the... Christian church and its members who are thus compared to a building, a temple of God erected upon the one and only foundation, Jesus Christ, to edify and strengthen. When was the last time you went to a friend or a family member and you needed a little encouragement, a little building up because your house is not in that good a shape these days? Y'all are looking like you don't even know what I'm talking about. And I know you do. Mutual encouragement and edification are still needed in every local church. And encouragement and edification with reference to their hope in Christ's return is especially needed. Let me tell you, the more your house decays, the more you're looking up. Isn't that true? And people who are really, their house is really in bad shape need to be encouraged. They're going to get a new house. They're going to get a new body. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no tears. And this is going to take place possibly today. Is that good news? Is that encouragement? How does one go about building up another person? Unfortunately, many people find something they can criticize about others rather than what they can praise. That's, I'm sorry to tell you that, but that's what we're like. Especially when someone goes and does something. It's so easy to criticize what someone else does, isn't it? That's the easiest thing in the world to do. But try doing it yourself. If you somebody writes a poem, and you're looking at, well, this doesn't rhyme. This here, start with a blank page. See what you do. Or, or build something, or whatever it may be. We all need encouragement. And what I'm telling you is we need to quit looking for something to criticize and look for something to praise, especially with our children. If all you do is criticize your children, oh, boy, you are really doing damage. You need to get after them when they do wrong, but you need to praise them, and sometimes that's a hard chore. you got to really look <laughs> But whatever it is, however small it may be, start somewhere and start praising them and see what happens. It will start encouraging them. Praise can go a long way, but building someone up, and building someone up, but it must be legitimate. Don't try flattery. Flattery is fake. They'll know it. You know it. It's just a sham. Look for something genuine to build them up and encourage them. Everybody turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We all need to remember this. I know you, 
I'm going to tell you what Paul said so many times. I know you already know it, but you need to hear it again. We all need to hear it again. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. Do you all have your steel-toed boots on? Okay. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only that, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Talking about grieving the Holy Spirit right after it talks about saying something nasty to someone. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath, wrath would be middle attitude sins, and anger would be emotional sins, and clamor is quarreling, verbal quarreling. And slander, both clamor and slander are verbal. Put away from you among from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Did you notice this last part? Old Testament believers were to forgive one another. If your neighbor offended you, you were to forgive them, but not none of them are admonished to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. I thought that would be very good to, to remember when we're talking about encouraging and praising one another. Praise can be a motivating force, but trying to instill self Confidence in someone can be difficult and temporary at best. The kind of building up that endures is not the kind that produces confidence in self, but confidence in God. Isn't that important? When you want to encourage someone, and when you want to build confidence in them, surely you want to praise them wherever it is due, and you want to encourage them, but if you want them to really have confidence, the kind that lasts, don't try to build their confidence, self-confidence, that is, confidence in their self. Instill in them a confidence in God because that will last. God never changes. He's, he's omniscient, om, om, uh, omnipotent. You can't instill confidence in God without using the Word of God. Don't be afraid or hesitate to use God's world, Word to build up others. I don't think so much, I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but there may be somebody hearing this online sometime. I don't know why it is, but some people are really embarrassed to talk about the Bible. Because in our society, 
it's really not proper. And it's, it's a lot more acceptable to talk about God. But when you start talking about Jesus Christ, look out. And I think we need to talk about God's Word to other people more and more. I'm talking about people you don't even know. I'm talking about family members that really have never heard you talk about the Word of God before. And I don't know why we don't do it. I'm, I'm, again, I, I, probably most of you do. But there are multitudes of Christians out there that they go to church and they listen to these things and for the most part they hear stories and it really hasn't motivated them. But when you are able to connect the dots and you understand that God has a plan for this earth and you know where you are in it and you know where you're going and what you're going to avoid, then it, that is a great motivating factor. When you have faith rest and you can explain others how God has getting, got you through this and that and the other thing, we need to not, not only just tell stories but give them scriptures. The Word of God is alive and powerful. And what I'm telling you is you cannot encourage someone. Not, not, we're talking about building them up, encouraging them, and building them up. I don't know how you can really legitimately build up anyone without giving them the Word of God. And I know people even... Uh, in my own family, people that I am acquainted with. Well, I was going to give you an illustration, but it really doesn't go that well because I'm a pastor. When you're a pastor, people think, well, you're going to be talking about the Bible anyway. But there's like an unwritten code that if you're not a pastor, if you don't have, if you're not in full-time Christian ministry, which every one of you are in, by the way, that you just leave that for them. It's not really proper, it's not socially acceptable to talk about the Bible because it can be divisive, divisive, whatever you call it. But I'm telling you, we ought to take every opportunity we can because if you really want to encourage someone, this is what you do. Carrie and I do this with our grand, grandson. Granddaughter still, she's not even one yet, so she doesn't understand. But we try to encourage them with the Bible. And when they're pouting, we explain, now this is not something that God is uh, happy with. God likes uh, little boys that obey their mother and don't whine. And we might tell them a story, uh, an account or something in the Bible. You can't start too young. And they can't be too old either. So all I'm doing is encouraging you to encourage others to build them up and don't neglect the Word, because without the Word, you cannot instill confidence in them about God. Praise them, you know, when they deserve praise. That, that, that's a motivating force. But it's not the same motivation that you get by telling someone about God and how great He is and what He's done for you. And give them some Scripture. God will never leave you or forsake you. Did you know that? I mean, you don't have to give them the address. You probably don't know the address anyway. That is the biggest builder-upper that you could possibly use, and we don't, want to, we don't want to neglect that. So I'm going to draw a line in the sand here to end.
Oh, while you're lo- while you're loading up, I'm going to give you this because as soon as I finish this paragraph, we can start fresh with 1 Thessalonians 5:12 through 13. That's where we'll stop next time, and I don't want to let this last little paragraph go. So here's the last paragraph. He said, just as you also are doing. Paul recognizes that they were already doing what he was commanding them to do. Most believers crave learning new things, but they always need to keep on hearing what they already know to keep it fresh in their mind. I know some of you have been in doctrine. You've been a believer and you've been studying God's Word, God's Word for longer than you might want to admit. I'm just talking about, I already got in trouble about age once tonight, so I'm trying to do better. So you're always looking for something new, something, I know that doctrine, I knew that. Oh, well, I'm looking for something new. And there's, listen, there are so many treasures and nuggets in the Bible, you'll never find them in your lifetime. Nobody ever has. There's always new things to hear. But sometimes we need to hear the old things that we already know to kind of recharge the battery in our brain to keep it right there in our consciousness. We need to talk to one another about God's Word. We are strengthened spiritually, which in turn increases our courage and anticipation of God fulfilling His Word to us. One thing, You know one thing I like about Country Bible Church? There's so many things I like about Country Bible Church. And I'm not talking about this building because the building is not the church. The church is you. And what I, one of the things I love about Country Bible Church is when, when Bible class is over or church is over and people go outside, how many times I hear them talking about the Word. You know how many people go to churches and they hear a, a message and they leave and they never even mention it. And next time they go to church, they'll hear another one and the Bible is never mentioned. It's not talked about. I'm very alert, and I have my ear to the ground with what's going on in this church, even though I'm not out with everybody. There's all these conversations going on. I walk by and I hear people talking about doctrine, and I might not grin on the outside, but on the inside I'm saying, way to go. Because that's what it's about. It's not about coming to church and hearing some stories. Okay, we'll put that in the drawer until next time, and then we'll pick up on that note. It's an ongoing living experience. And if you are really getting energized by the Word, then you're going to talk, talk to other believers, talk to other people. Now, I don't follow you around with a clipboard, but I love to hear stories of you going into the grocery stores. What is it about grocery stores? I don't know. Every, I guess everybody goes there. And I hear stories about people going into grocery stores and how... They talk to someone. There have been people who come to, have come to this church and now are online and listening uh, to it. They may even live in another straight, uh, state. And it, and it started with someone saying something about the Word of God in a grocery store and someone's antenna was out. And they went, what was that? And you start talking to them and they recognize that you didn't just fall off the dummy turnip spiritual truck, whatever that is, that you know something that they don't know and they can sense that you have confidence and you have courage and you have security in your soul and they want it. And they say, well, where did you learn this? Well, I learned over here at Country Bible Church. Oh, really? Well, when do they meet? 
and you just grin. That's the Lord working. And it's all because we're doing what this says. We encourage one another. We give confidence and we love to talk about God's Word. How can you not love to talk about Jesus Christ? How can you not love to tell others what you've learned? The most important thing in your life is Jesus Christ and the Word of God. If that is true, you're going to be talking to your kids, your husband, your wife, your family, anybody that will listen. Now, I'm not talking about being a a nuisance, but I'm talking about something that's inside that just comes out. Let's close. Father, thank You for this time. We're so thankful that we have the utmost confidence that You have spared us from the wrath to come. And we can anxiously look forward to our Lord appearing at any time. And that gives us great solace, great comfort, and great hope. So we pray that we will continue to be able to pass this on to others who are just living in, a, in, a, in the mire. They're bogged down in the details of life. They don't know what, the, what this life is about. And we pray that you will help us, give us opportunity to speak to them and tell them how wonderful our Lord is and what he's got in store for us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Mm-hmm.